All right. As we speak right now, there are millions and millions and millions of professing believers who are expecting the rapture any moment. And uh, some of them are expecting a pre-trib rapture, but they're not expecting it any moment. They're expecting the Gog-Magog war to take place before the rapture. Many pre-tribs, okay? And when I say many pre-tribs, in case you're visiting or you're listening uh, for the first time or you're a newer believer, uh, when I say pre-trib, rapture, sometimes that may be like foreign language. So I don't want to lose people from the outset is as Christians, most evangelical Christians are what we call futurist. We believe that the Lord is coming in the future. We believe there will be an unparalleled time of distress a lawlessness, as Jesus said in Matthew 24, increase of wickedness. Uh, you know, it'll be like the days of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, days of Noah with all the violence, Jesus said. And lawless men would wax worse and worse, and all those who live godly in Christ Jesus would suffer persecution. And as Paul said, and that uh, the love of many would grow cold, as Jesus said. And as Paul said, terrible times would come in the last days in 2 Timothy 4 and elsewhere. So as uh, most Christians believe, yes, at the end of the age, it gets worse and worse, and we're seeing that rapidly. But he, uh, Jesus also said the gospel of the kingdom, we preach in all the worlds, we witness to all the nations, then the end would come, amen. So we should also see uh, God's program of getting people saved, increasing along with these, the increase of wickedness, which indeed we are seeing, and we're involved in getting the gospel out there and preaching the gospel to uh, the nations and so forth. Uh, Jesus said there'd be wars and rumors of wars. Hear any wars lately or rumors of wars lately? Yeah, we see with Russia, Putin in the Ukraine right now, and a number of other wars have been going on that we've been involved in for decades, by the way. We just finally pulled out of Afghanistan, and we had Kuwait before that and Iran, and uh, we've, we've helped in the uh, civil war there in Syria and other, other situations that we've been in in our country for decades now. Uh, but it's interesting because the Bible talks about this last period of great tribulation, which is three and a half years long. Now, we often speak of the tribulation period as being seven years long, and uh, you can call that last seven years a tribulation period, but the great tribulation is that last three and a half years. We talk about that last seven years. We call it a seven-year period because in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, it talks about the coming Antichrist making a peace pact with the many nations, including Israel, for seven years. And in the middle of those seven years, he sits in the temple of God, as Paul said, showing himself that he is God in 2 Thessalonians 2. Or in Daniel 9, 27, 24 through 27, he abominates the temple, the Antichrist. In the middle of that seven years, he says, okay, I've brokered this peace deal, you know, and now I'm going to be worshipped. And as uh, Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24, stand in the holy place, let those who are in Jerusalem flee, take off. So in the middle of that seven-year period, uh, Jesus' followers, he's addressing his disciples that are in Jerusalem, are to take off uh, to the wilderness. And in Revelation chapter 12, God nourishes uh, his people in the wilderness. And th there it's the woman, and I believe it's Israel there, because it's the, the woman imagery, the 12 stars, the sun and the moon that defined the woman earlier, is clearly Israel in the end of Genesis. But at the same time, he goes to make war with her offspring, those who... Uh, uh, keep the commandments of God, have their faith in Jesus, which are the Christians. Uh, there'll be a great multitude of Christians cleansed by the blood of Jesus that no man can number, Revelation 7, that come out of the great tribulation period. So it's important to understand a lot of things are going to go down. Well, there 
has been a controversy in the church for the last almost 200 years. Uh, not quite 200, but almost 200 years. As the timing of the rapture. The rapture, uh, although you won't find the word rapture in the Bible, some will say it's not biblical. They're wrong. It is biblical because it def- the rapture is the catching up of the believers. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, Paul said he, he was concerned, people were concerned about their lost or their, their saved loved ones who had died. And he said to comfort one, of these, one another with these words is that those who have passed, those who have died, those who are asleep in the Lord, as Paul puts it, will be, caught, uh, will be, will be changed first. They'll be raised from the dead first. And then we who remain, who are alive on the earth, will be caught up. Harpazo in the Greek, it means to be caught up to meet them in the air with the Lord. And so the rapture is a catching up the saints. When you look at what Paul's talking about there, it's very clear. The Lord will descend with a shout, right? Uh, and uh, he'll catch us up to meet him in the air. We'll be transformed. That's the rapture. It's at his second coming. In fact, Paul goes on to say, uh, if you keep reading, he says, you know, of the time and the season, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you because you know perfectly well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in, night, thief in the night. While they're saying peace and safety, sudden destruction will come upon them as prevail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But we are not in darkness that that day should overtake us, the church, like a thief. So he's coming back to bring destruction. That's not a secret, pre-trib, invisible rapture. He's coming back to bring destruction, but believers are what? To be in the light at that time and be ready, he goes on to say, to uh, be children of light and don't get drunk at night because those who sleep get drunk at night, you know, uh, that are asleep spiritually. So uh, he clearly puts the rapture with the second coming of Christ when he comes like a thief in the night to bring destruction, which is exactly what Jesus did in Matthew 24 when he said that he's coming like a thief and you better be ready, amen. And if the wise, the, the wise man, right, of the house would, would board up his house and prepare because it's a coming destruction. And Jesus went on to say, Matthew 24, in that same chapter, that he was coming immediately after the what? Tribulation. So this seven-year period, which we can call the tribulation period, we can more technically call it the 70th week of Daniel that lasts seven years. He comes at the end of those seven years to destroy the Antichrist and to catch up his church. Well, uh, many years ago, you can watch our video documentary. We flew all the way to Scotland and went to Ireland and England and so forth and went across the country, uh, Missouri and so forth, to interview uh, scholars and other people on the timing of the rapture, historians. And it's a, a, a documentary called Left Behind or Led Astray. You remember the popular Left Behind series by Tim LaHaye teaches that, hey, guess what? The rapture is before the tribulation. And the church is going to be whisked out of, uh, from before, of, off the earth before the seven years takes place. And it sounds good. It certainly sounds good. And the Bible warns that in the last days, doctrines would arise that will tickle people's ears and people would want to hear. And many people would follow many teachers that are teaching these things that would tickle their ears and sound good. And I say that, and I say it with conviction, because you don't see this teaching of a pre-trib rapture for the first 1,800 years of church history. That's a long time. That's several times the amount of time we've been a nation. You just don't see it in uh, church history where uh, the church would not go through the tribulation period. In fact, the church fathers like Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, the early church fathers talked about how the Antichrist would put the church to flight. Irenaeus was even talking about how to understand who might the Antichrist might be. Uh, and they understood the book of Revelation was written to the church. 
So now, when you understand the controversy, I'm not going to get into uh, pre, mid, and post as far as trying to prove one or the other. We've had several messages on that through the years. I'm, I'll probably have one upcoming in a few months or so, a couple months. I don't know. I haven't done a whole message on that in years, but uh, I have to bring up the time, the, the, the time frame so you understand there's a seven-year period coming up called the, the tribulation period or seventh week of Daniel. The middle of that seven years is the last three and a half years is when the Antichrist sits in the temple saying he's God and puts forth the mark of the beast. You can't buy or sell without it. Right now, Rice and, uh, you know, MIT or, or, I'm sorry, Rice, a couple different uh, school, huge universities are working on a, uh, with Bill Gates on getting a vaccine, vaccine dot to whether you, so they know exactly what vaccine you've gotten when you've had your update and when your boosters and you've already known it's kind of hard to shop sometimes even go to restaurants in some place in the world, a lot of places in our country without, you know, being vaccinated as far as restaurants go and so forth. And we're not saying that's the mark of the beast, but we do believe that could definitely be leading up to the mark of the beast with regard to the technology and people getting used to being controlled and so forth. So we want to encourage you guys to keep your eyes open, but where does the Gog Magog war fit in all of this? Because if you study prophecy or you're just attuned to what's going on in, in, you know, in uh, the church as far as people's views regarding Putin, Russia, and his invasion of Ukraine and his alliance with Muslim nations, there's a lot of talk right now about the Gog-Magog war because many prophecy experts for a long time now, uh, most of them believe that Russia represents Magog uh, or Magog represents Russia, I should say, and uh, and the alliance of nations in chapter 38 and 39 are these Muslim nations uh, that are anti-Israel and so forth because we know that Gog and Magog will invade or seek to invade Israel. And many who are teaching this believe this is going to happen or can happen right now. So many of our pre-trib brothers and sisters believe different things regarding Gog and Magog. There's some competing views among them but many of them believe that we're going to be raptured any moment and then Russia will eventually, through what's going on right now, attack Israel and then God will destroy Russia and those Muslim nations, either fully eradicating them from the earth or uh, destroying them significantly to where they seek to, they, they no longer play a role in the, on, on the earth and the new world order is made up entirely of a different group and so forth, uh, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, so, so with pre-tribs, the competing views with pre-tribs is that Gog and Magog will happen right after the rapture. So it can happen any moment. So a lot of them are like, well, the rapture can happen any moment. They don't understand the rapture is actually part of the second coming. Amen. That doesn't happen until after the tribulation period. You know, you don't see that in church history, as I said, until, uh, you know, 18, around 1830 uh, or so, which we get into in our documentary. And we, we show you really clear evidence with even pre-trib leaders admitting that, you know. So it's interesting uh, so some believe the rapture is going to happen, then this war is going to take place. That's why a lot of people are freaking out. Other pre-tribs believe the Putin war, or the, what they believe is the Gog-Magog war, will happen right now, and the rapture, or any time now, or a little bit in the future, and then what? Then the rapture will take place. And then the tribulation will take place. You see? So that's why it's so on the radar right now. Okay, you follow me? A lot of believe that this is going to happen real soon. Gog, Magog. Okay, why is it important to understand these things? Well, God wrote it down for us. God commanded us to study his word. A huge percentage of the Bible is biblical prophecy. Amen. 
And we can't be cavalier about these things because he spends two chapters in chapter 38 and 39 of Ezekiel. It's known as a Gog-Magog prophecy or the Ezekiel 38 and 39 prophecy. And it's significant because those who are cavalier about prophecy missed Jesus' first coming. You know that, right? He rebuked the religious leaders. He rebuked them because he said, you could read the sky. You know when it's going to rain the next day, but you can't understand the signs of the times. So because they weren't looking at his roadmap, they didn't take it seriously. Well, it doesn't really apply to my life. They missed the Lord's first coming and were damned. That's serious stuff. Amen. And he rebuked them for not studying the scriptures, for not knowing prophecy. And this is uh, so serious. In fact, we want to be like the sons of Issachar. Amen. Because it says the sons of Issachar understood the times, right? Therefore, they knew what to do. If you don't understand biblical prophecy, you won't really know how to live your life the way you ought to live it in light of the prophecies that are taking place. Just basic attitudes. Remember, Jesus says of the world, when they see these things coming to pass, their heart's going to fail them for fear of things coming on the earth. Whereas a believer is to look up knowing that his redemption is nigh. Prophecy affects the, your whole mentality of who you are in Jesus and uh, the way you look at life, amen? And looking at these signposts that on the road to Armageddon. So it's important to understand prophecy and take it seriously. And also it's important not to check out and say, oh, it's above me. No, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the apocalypsis, means to unveil, amen, to like lift a curtain, amen? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show, to show, not hide, to show to his servants, that, right? He, he's showing them what's gonna come to pass. And he wants us, therefore, to study his word and understand it and know it. So, if in Ezekiel chapter 38, if you'll take your Bibles there, and we're gonna look at about seven different views and hit them pretty quick as to different views as to when. Okay, next week, we look at who, although... I do believe the Muslim nations, along with Russia, uh, are the best candidates for the Gog-Magog war and invasion of Israel. We won't be studying that as in-depth until next time, although you hear them come up a few different times throughout this message. Right now, because I didn't want to just gloss over this, we want to know when will this take place? When is this war going to take place? Is it going to happen before the tribulation? Has it already happened? Some teach it already has happened. It's going to happen before a pre-trib rapture or just after a pre-trib rapture and then the tribulation period is going to happen during the tribulation period. It's going to happen after the millennium. It's going to happen at the end of the tribulation period. We're going to look at all these different views. And I just scrapped one page of my notes when I was back there because I wrote out all seven views I want to look at and I was going to go through all seven views briefly and then look at each one. Well, I decided, you know what? Instead of going through them all briefly, I just tucked that in the front of my Bible and I said, I'm just going to take them one by one and explain them as we go. That, for I, that way I shave off four or five minutes of my message so I could try to get done on time. So Ezekiel 38 verse 1, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, this is Ezekiel the prophet. He went into the Babylonian captivity. Son of man, set your face toward Gog and the land of Magog or toward Gog of the land of Magog. Uh, most commentators believe Gog refers to the leader that's from or of the land of Magog. Some believe Gog refers to the Antichrist. Others believe he refers simply as the leader of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. In fact, uh, 
A lot of pre-trib commentators, not just pre-trib, a lot of commentators uh, say, you know, Meshach is Moscow, and, and they assign each of these words, Rush means Russia, and Tubal, you know, di- di- you know different cities, uh, Meshach and Tubal, different cities in Russia, but linguistically, that is not a good case. They don't, and, and a lot of pre-trib leaders are admitting that they can't force them into being Russian cities. They're ancient cities that more likely find that, well, we'll get into that when I start identifying these players later another time. But let's just say this. That doesn't mean, though, that Gog and Magog doesn't refer to Russia. And I'll say this, because over and over again in 38, 39, more than, I think, like three times, we're told that, that Magog is at the farthest extremes or the remote parts of the north. And it's not just that they come that way, but they live in the land at the remotest parts of the north, which today is Russia, and uh, uh, which is also interesting because it's Russia that's rattling its sabers. It's Russia that's working with the Muslim nations that want to destroy Israel. And it just fits like hand in the glove in a lot of ways. But a lot of people that focus on Gog, Magog being Russia, they ignore the Muslim connections, which are so important to understand. And by the way, I'm just gonna tell you, for years and years and years and years, several years, since I've been teaching, decades ago in the 80s, 90s, you know, I've been warning that these beast nations, if you've been in this fellowship, you know, these beast nations are Muslim nations. And I love, uh, you know, Joel Richardson and, uh, you know, don't agree with everything he teaches, but I love some of the things, I should say, that he's brought forth about Islam, the Islamic Antichrist and so forth. But I think before he was a Christian, I've been warning, hey, guys, and I say that because it was not a popular view. I've been saying the beast nations of the Antichrist, the beast Antichrist uh, confederacy is Middle Eastern because of the bear, the lion, and the leopard in Revelation chapter 13, going back to Daniel's vision, they represent Iran, Iraq, and the Grecian Empire, which was go through Syria. Well, back in those days when I was saying that, almost all the prophecy experts were, that were futurists were saying, it's Europe, the United States of Europe. And they're still saying that, many of them, Thomas Ice and others. It's Europe, it's Europe, it's Europe. And when I was saying it was these Muslim leaders, I'm sorry, it, and it was coming out of that area of the world, it sounded so ridiculous. You know why? Not biblically. When you look at it biblically, it's pretty clear. It sounded ridiculous because these guys, for many people, they just view them as people with towels on their heads with no power. Is that the way it is today? Not anymore, folks. Now a lot of people have shifted onto what I believe is the biblical view, and I have never changed my tune on that. I'm like, no, there's going to be a power shift to the Middle East. Those are Israel's ancient enemies that want to destroy her. And there's an Islamic inspiration by the doctrine of demons set in their hearts to destroy Israel. They just lacked the money and power until the whole oil thing got really, really big. Until Iran started wiping, talking about wiping Israel off the face of the earth because Iran was a friendly nation to Israel and the U.S. under the Shah. Now they, they're trying to get nukes and Russia, Putin is trying to get them trying to broker them to get nukes and so forth, you know. So uh, these things are all in play now. And I don't want to talk about the identity so much of Gog and Magog. I'm already doing that because I want to get into when first. So you understand when this war is. If you don't know when it is, it's like, it's almost irrelevant. You need to know what you're looking for. So as we look at this, when we get into this, the two main points of controversy. Uh, verse 1, let's look at it again. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face toward Gog and the land of, Mag- of the land of Magog. The prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, 
and prophesy against him and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. That's the first few verses. goes on for two chapters, and it uses imagery that was popular, horses, stuff like swords, popular for that day because they can't talk about nukes and stuff. They wouldn't have a clue what he's saying, you know. But he talks about warfare, uses warfare imagery for two chapters. But the two points of controversy regarding this cha these chapters is the identity of who it's talking about. And they're all over the place as far as interpretation goes. And number two, when? When is this war? So when you understand when it is, it becomes incredibly relevant. So we need to, so in this study, I want to talk more about when, and next study, we're going to talk about who, okay? And I think when is pretty clear personally. When is this going to take place? Is World War III around the corner? Is Putin and Russia, who many believe is Magog, going to invade, uh, you know, Israel right around the corner, like many pre-tribs are saying? Oh, or did it already take place years ago, this war, as many preterists are saying? First, I want to look at the preterist view. That's a popular view among preterists. Preterism is growing. Preterism is an eschatological or end-time belief system held by many Calvinists, many Reconstructionists. Those are those who believe that, that we're supposed to use politics to dominate the world, and the church is going to rule the world, and they're not often looking for Christ's second coming because a lot of them claim he already came back. Kind of like the Jehovah's Witnesses claim he came back in 1914. That's kind of odd because Jesus said every eye will see him, right? It'll be like lightning shining for the east and the west. So preterists, and this is held by many, many, it's a growing movement. Preterist is from a Latin word that means past. And the emphasis is that prophecy has already been fulfilled or mostly fulfilled. So there's partial preterist and there's full preterist. Partial preterists still believe, hey, we're still looking for the new heaven and the new earth. They often believe we're still looking for the resurrection of our bodies. How often they'll often say that God's done with Israel. The tribulation has already taken place. Nero was the Antichrist. The end happened in 70 AD. And now we're just looking forward to our resurrected bodies and what have you, new heaven, new earth. A lot of them will say the second coming of Christ in Matthew 24 already took place, even though they're partial, considered partial preterists. It's still a very, very dangerous doctrine because you're not supposed to add or take away to the book of Revelation, amen? And if you just take one verse and you erase it, that's serious. But if you use your eschatological view and wipe out pretty much the entire book and say it's past, woo, that's dangerous before God, I believe. Full preterist, which I'd be more full preterist than partial preterist, which is even scarier, they claim that we've already been resurrected. Many say we're already in the new heaven and the new earth. Christ already came. As if this is a resurrection, man. As I get older, I'm thinking this isn't a good deal. Okay. So don't laugh. I'm just not a good deal. Okay. Uh, well, they say it's a spiritual. No, the Bible is very clear that there will be a physical resurrection. Amen. Depends on the full preterist. They have different views uh, to one degree or another. But when it comes to the Gog-Magog war, Partial and full preterists typically have it as already, well, guess what, happening in the past, okay? For instance, Gary DeMar, one of the most popular preterists out there. He's debated a number of futurists. Uh, Gary DeMar, uh, he's a partial preterist. He claims that the Gog-Magog war and invasion, Ezekiel 38 and 39, took place in, get this, during the time of Queen Esther, Okay? Uh, so, 
and it involved an Israelite victory over Haman's schemes. Uh, and, uh, and the victory of, was of, there was unmatched Israeli forces in those days and so forth. But when you look at the fulfillment of the Gog-Magog war, it's not Israel conquering their enemies, it's God conquering them with, destroying them with fire, okay? That didn't happen during Queen Esther's time. Uh, another, uh, these are leading, this is another partial predators like Gary DeMar, uh, is Kenneth Gentry. Kenneth Gentry is a very popular Calvinistic preterist, and he teaches that, uh, that the Gog-Magog war took place in the second century before Christ. In the second century before Christ. Okay, that's a, a second view. Uh, another guy by the name of Kurt Simmons, he's a full preterist. Okay, he believes that uh, the Gog-Magog war took place in, place in 70 AD. Remember when the Romans came in? Remember when the Romans destroyed Israel and dispersed them through the different nations in 70 AD, not long after Christ, 30-some years after Jesus was crucified? He says, ah, that was the Gog-Magog war, okay? Uh, there's a lot of problems with these views that say that's already taken place. A lot of people get, uh, gravitate toward preterism for the same reason I believe they gravitate toward pre-tribulationism. Because they don't want, hear no evil, see no evil. They don't want to believe bad things are going to happen in the future. And it's a denial of reality. A lot of times they want to believe that the church is going to take over the earth, the preterist, and that we're going to take over the seven mountains, you know, of military and education. The church is going to rule and the world is going to let us rule them. It doesn't look like that's happening, but they claim that. And that will be happening in a counterfeit church under the Antichrist. That's where a lot of this is headed, I believe. So, uh... These viewpoints, is this, is this biblical? Could it have even happened back then? No, because if you look at Ezekiel 38, verse 8, we read, after what? Many days you will be summoned in the what? In the latter years you will come into the land. Talking about Gog and Magog. It's in the latter years. Jump, jump down to verse 16. And you, will come against up my, and you will come up against my people, Israel, like a cloud to cover the land. It shall come about in the what? in the last days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am sanctified through you before their eyes, O God. Have the nations come to know Yahweh? This is for the latter days. These are, there's three glaring strikes. That's strike one. Well, some predators will say, well, the latter days there doesn't mean the end of days. You know, it doesn't mean the very end as futurists understand it in Armageddon and what have you. Uh, it's already happened in the past, and that was just the latter days for Ezekiel. There's some problems with that, though, because the Lord makes it clear, and this is strike number two, is that this will take place, this invasion of Gog Magog, after Israel has been gathered from the nations of the earth. Okay? Now, in Ezekiel 36 and 37 are some of the most important prophecies about Israel being gathered from the nations of the world. And Ezekiel, that's, that's a prophecy that was given about 2,600 years ago. 2,600 years ago, God prophesied that the nations of, of the, the people of Israel that would be scattered throughout the entire world would be gathered from the nations, okay? That's a long time ago that that was prophesied. And that's in 36 and 37. And he states that he'd bring them back in a state of unbelief. And after he brought them back, then he'd pour his spirit upon them. And then chapter 38 and 39 are after 36 and 37. 
And guess when the invasion of Gog and Magog is? After that regathering, which didn't take place until 1948, March 14, uh, May 14, 1948. In fact, go ahead and look at chapter 38, verse 8 again, okay? Uh, after many days you will be summoned. In the latter days you will come into the land that is what? Restored from the sword, whose inhabitants have been gathered from where? From many nations to the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. And it was a continual waste for almost 2,000 years after uh, Christ was crucified and they were dispersed throughout all the nations. But its people were brought out from the nations and they are living securely, all of them. Notice they're living securely. That's important for later. You will go up and you will come like a storm. You will be a cloud covering the land. You and all your troops and many peoples with you. Look at verse 12. To capture the spoil and to seize plunder further down there. To turn your hand against the waste places which are now inhabited and against the people who are gathered from the nations. You have acquired cattle and goods who live uh, at the center of the world. Isn't that interesting? This would take place not in the days of Queen Esther, not in the second century before Christ, not in 70 AD, but when Israel had been regathered from the nations after the Assyrian captivity, they're still been dispersed and some came back from Assyria. After the Babylonian captivity, they weren't dispersed in all the nations. After the Babylonian captivity, they came back from Babylon. But, after, when G- but Jesus said they'd be dispersed among the nations after he was rejected. Before he was rejected, he said after, you know, they crucified him, he says the, 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 there'll be times of vengeance and Israel will be carried away to the nations. There'll be times of the Gentiles. But then they would come back from the nations and we have not seen a regathering like we have on May 14th, 1948, ever before. So it would be after they'd been regathered in their land. And there's many other reasons that preterism is false. Uh, I just mentioned one thing. The Lord would be exalted in all the earth, right? That's not happening. Amen. Uh, So uh, a third and final strike is when you look at the coalition of nations that unite with the extreme Magog from the far north. You're looking at Persia, which is now Iran. And by the way, when Ezekiel gave this this prophecy, Persia, which is now Iran, was practically unheard of. Okay? Most most Jews would read that prophecy and not even know who they were when Ezekiel wrote that prophecy. But they become a world empire after Babylon. And now they're rattling their sabers and threatening to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. But you have Libya, which is a Muslim nation. You have Iran, which is a Muslim nation. You have uh, the southern parts of Israel, the former Soviet states are mentioned, as we'll see later when we look at the players. All these Muslim nations. And you didn't have any coalition of nations that came against Israel in recorded history like that from these diverse places that aren't even geographically connected to each other and culturally connected in those days when this prophecy was given. But now guess what? Because of traveling by air, right? Traveling by, you know, <laughs> uh, by, by ships, tanks, and so forth, and being glued together through Islam, you can now see how these nations could band together and fulfill these prophecies. Uh, so the, the preterist view fails dramatically, and that's why most, uh, you know, evangelical scholars reject it because it's got a lot of problems. But the, the pre-tribs seem to have a corner on Bible prophecy. The, the pre-trib Bible confer- prophecy conferences are, the, are packed, you know. 
And that's because I think a lot of people are interested in prophecy for good reason, but a lot of people like the idea that we're going to see something that's going to happen when I'm gone. A lot of people, a lot of post-tribbers don't like, let's get together and see how we're going to suffer pretty soon, you know? I personally love to have, you know, I, I love to teach on prophecy, and I'm all for uh, post-trib prophecy conferences, you know? But uh, uh, a lot of people don't like to hear that, you know, that it's going to get tough before it gets gets mellower and, 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 and good when Christ comes back. It's not just mellow, it's, you know, glorified bodies. So uh, let's start looking at some of the pre-tributes, which are very, very popular out there. Uh, as I mentioned, and views two and three are so close to each other, we'll look at them both at the same time. Uh, view number two is that there'll be the Gog-Magog war coming up any time now. That's why pre-tribs are saying this could be it with Putin on the run in the Muslim nations and him like a madman looking like a new Hitler to many people. So they're like, what's going on? This is Gog-Magog. A lot of them are saying that. So a lot of pre-tribs say this is going to happen. And then after, then God's going to destroy Russia and the Muslims, Muslim nations that are with him. And then the rapture will take place. And then we'll go into the seven-year tribulation period. So they have the Gog-Magog war immediately on the heels of that, the rapture, and immediately on the heels of the pre-trib rapture, the tribulation. Others have a similar view. It's very similar, almost the same, but a little different. It is a Gog-Magog war, the rapture, and then the, and then the tribulation period. But between the rapture and the tribulation period is an interval of time, months or years, okay? They're basically the same view. They just put the rapture either right at the beginning of the tribulation period or months or years before the tribulation period. So Thomas Ice, who's considered by many to be the most prominent pre-trib a prophecy scholar. I've talked to Thomas Ice when I went and debated the timing of the rapture in uh, Colorado uh, with Dr. Stoffer. We had a debate on that issue. You can watch our debate online on uh, YouTube. We have it posted there. It went very, very well for us by the grace of God. Uh, and Thomas Ice also, he was there at the prophecy conference. He was also in the audience because that was the climax of the, that debate was the climax of this big pre-trib prophecy conference with all these pre-trib teachers. And we had a great time talking uh, uh, about this issue. And uh, Thomas Ice, who is the editor of Tim LaHaye, who wrote the Left Behind series, which is all about the wicked being left behind for the tribulation period and the church going up first, you know. Uh, and by the way, uh, I think it was Buck Williams is the star of that series, you know, and the star of that book series in the movies, played by uh, Kirk Cameron in the movie series. Uh, in the different parts that had come out. Sony, I think, is working with them to put more parts out. And Kirk Cameron plays Buck Williams. And what happens is uh, Buck Williams is in Israel. And he's, uh, I think it's the Global Weekly, according to the movie and the book series, that he's a reporter for. And all of a sudden, they're seeing all these missiles being fired by Russia, nukes fired toward Israel. And it's like, oh no, and he's an eyewitness. Buck Williams played by Kirk Cameron in the movie. And all of a sudden the Lord just destroys all these missiles with like a, sh just supernaturally just, just turns all these things and destroys them and destroys Russia's armaments. And Kirk Cameron is like, as Buck Williams is astonished, he's a witness. And some months later, boom, the pre-trib rapture takes place. Okay, you see that, how that, that works? Uh, in the book, it seems like uh, it's, it's, the pre-trib rapture happens right after, you know, the Gog-Magog war, not months after. And this is what Tim LaHaye, who's the editor of, I'm sorry, this is what Thomas Ice, the editor of the Tim LaHaye Study Bible says. Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, his co-writer, 
And Jerry Jenkins' son is the one who's done the Jesus uh, series that's on television right now, uh, the Gospels. Uh, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, he says, in their best-selling novel, Left Behind, place this invasion, talking about Gog Magog, Ezekiel 38, 39, of Israel right before the rapture of the church. Right before the rapture of the church. And they do. In the movie, it's a few months before the rapture of the church. Okay? Now, New York Times, a best-selling author. He's interviewed on major news stations, and he's a best-selling author, as I said. Joel Rosenberg, uh, he wrote the political thriller, The Ezekiel Option, about 38 and 39 of Ezekiel. And in The Ezekiel Option, he has Russia with allied Muslim nations and with NATO nations, National or Northern Atlantic Treaty Organization, the the You've been hearing a lot about NATO right now. We're a member of NATO. He has them all attacking Israel, except for the United States of America. He doesn't want to put us in there. <laughs> and uh, he, they're the exception. And he has them uh, attacking uh, Israel and God destroying that advancement with a huge earthquake whose epicenter is right outside of Jerusalem in that book. And uh, God saves Israel and destroys those nations that are trying to take her. And then after that is the pre-trib rapture, then the tribulation, period, okay? Now, it's interesting. Thomas Ice says, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, in their best-selling novel, Left Behind, placed this invasion of Israel right before the rapture of the church. The strength, now listen to what he says, the strength of this position, the strength of this position is that it accounts for the burning of the weapons of war for seven years, as mentioned in Ezekiel 39.9. So it does talk about how it'll take seven months to bury the dead from this war. And for seven years, says inhabitants of the cities of Israel will go out and destroy those weapons. That's how big this war is going to be, folks. That's a big war, right? Would you agree? Take a, to take seven years to dispose of the weapons that were used, seven years is a long time. That's a huge war. Because it's not just Libya and Put or, you know, Ethiopia or Sudan, Sudan uh, and Iran and uh, extreme, you know, Russia. It says, and many more nations. It's all kinds of nations in this war. So did you see what Thomas I said? The strength of this position that has the Gog-Magog war right before the tribulation and right before the rapture and the rapture is, happens. The strength of it is What? The seven-year period allows seven years of tribulation to what? Clean up the mess. To me, that's not a strength of the position at all. Ha! That's actually one of the death blows to the, of you. Why? Because is seven years of tribulation a climate for cleaning up armaments? Ha! What happens in the middle of the tribulation period? All hell breaks loose on earth, right? Israel isn't like, oh, for seven years, we're just going to clean up armaments. No, guess what happens? She goes through the fire, two-thirds of Israel is destroyed through the tribulation period. A third escape and are refined like fire, and they go into the wilderness, and they're in the wilderness for guess how long? Being protected by God in Revelation chapter 12. Three and a half years, amen? That's not a, that's not a strength of that position. That's, that's a weakness of that position. And it's kind of weird that I says that because he seems to recognize it's a weakness because he opts for a totally different view. Because he knows that's a problem. 
Uh, and there's a lot of other problems with these views that you'll see as we go on that make it impossible, make these views, I believe, impossible. So uh, you have Israel going through what's called Jacob's trouble, right? And it's the tribulation can be so bad and it's to be centered in Jerusalem under the Antichrist who sits at the temple of God, show himself that he's God who seeks to destroy anybody who won't take his mark, right? And two-thirds of Israel is destroyed and a third of them go uh, into, many of them go into exile. A third of them are tried like uh, uh, silver. Uh, I don't want to say a third go to the, uh, are the women because we don't know exactly where they all go, but a lot of them end up being protected and nourished by God at the end of Revelation 12 of the Jews. And Jesus said, if those days were not cut short, no what? It's going to be so bad, no flesh would be saved if he didn't come back when he does. So that's not a good time for cleanup, especially when you read of all the judgments that are taking place in Israel. So that leads us to the fourth view, which is Thomas Ice's view. And some of you have heard of Ron Rhodes. He used to uh, be a guest, frequent guest with, uh, and partner too with uh, uh, the Bible Answer Man. I'm talking about uh, not Hank Hanegraaff, who went into some preterism and some weird teaching in Greek Orthodox uh, church and so forth. But Walter Martin, who's post-trib, by the way, like us, the Bible Answerman Walter Martin was post-trib. He became pre-trib. That might be a shock to you, but only in this way. When he died, he went to be with the Lord before the tribulation. Okay. Now he's probably more post-trib than ever, right? So, uh, but Ron Rhodes, uh, who is, you know, frequently on the air with him, he is a... Uh, he has the same view that Thomas Ice has, which is different than the last two preterist views I shared with you, and certainly different than the preterist view. And that view is that the rapture, the rapture will happen any moment now. And then right after the rapture sometime, pretty soon after the rapture, you have the Gog-Magog invasion after the rapture. Not, the others had it before the rapture, right? He has the rapture, and then he has the Gog-Magog invasion but he recognizes that that seven years isn't a good time to clean up all these armaments, right? Especially because the second half of the tribulation can be gnarly. So guess what he does? Guess what both these very, very respected pre-trib prophecy scholars say? They move the rapture to three and a half years or so or more before the tribulation even begins. That way they have time to clean up the mess before the tribulation begins. And then if it's three and a half years before the tribulation begins that the rapture takes place, then, it, then the evasion takes place, then guess what? They can clean up that mess for three and a half years and then the tribulation starts, clean up for the next three and a half years, that's seven years of cleanup. Then the great tribulation, the last three and a half years of the tribulation starts, okay? So what they're trying to do is they're trying to shove these, make, you ever see a puzzle that doesn't fit together, the, kids, or the kid can't get it fit together, he's smashing pieces in and trying to get it fit? Okay, they're moving things around that don't even fit typical pre-trib eschatology to try to get the Gog-Magog where to fit. That should tell you something right there. But Thomas Ice writes this. Listen carefully. He says, I hold at this time that it, speaking of Ezekiel 38 and 39, Gog-Magog, will happen after the rapture, but before the tribulation. Catch that? It will be during the interval of days, weeks, months, or years between the rapture and the start of the seven-year tribulation. Okay. Uh, ICE goes on to claim that God will destroy Russia and these Muslim nations either totally or partially. Uh, and that will set up for the tribulation period. He writes, quote, if the tribulation is closely preceded by failed, now listen, if the tribulation is closely preceded by failed regional invasion of Israel, in other words, Russia and her Muslim allies, 
then this would remove much of the Russian and Muslim influence currently in the world today and allow a Eurocentric orientation to arise because he believes the Antichrist is going to come out of Western Europe. They don't seem very uh, formidable, do they? Western Europe. I know they're trying to get weapons now and stuff, but they're shaking their boots. So he has the idea that the rapture takes place. Then there's this interval of time before the tribulation starts. And that's where the Gog-Magog war is, right? That's what he's teaching there. And it's actually uh, Ron Rhodes who actually, I'm sorry, he says months or years, right? Ice. It's Rhodes who says uh, three and a half years or so before the tribulation starts, the rapture will take place. Ron Rhodes says, my assessment is that Israel is already in a state of relative security and that the invasion will likely take place sometime after the rapture, but before the tribulation period, okay? A significant amount of time may separate the rapture from the beginning of the tribulation. Israel, which is really, it's already sad enough that they separate the rapture from seven years from the second coming. That's sad enough, right? But now they're separate at 10 or more years often. He goes on to write, Israel must be living in a state of security when this invasion occurs. And that's true. It doesn't fit, their, it doesn't fit with what they're saying though. Israel is not in a state of security right now, okay? And it's not just security. It's feeling like they don't have to worry about being invaded at all. That's not how they feel right now. So he's actually minimizing what it says about the state of Israel when this battle takes place. He said, I suggested that such a state, I suggested that such a state now exists of security in Israel and that the invasion will likely take place sometime after the rapture, listen, but prior to the beginning of the tribulation period, perhaps even, listen to this, perhaps even three and a half years prior to the beginning of the tribulation period. That's uh, interesting, but (laughs) is it biblical, you know? Uh, well, no, I don't believe it is at all. There's some huge problems here. First of all, how does the tribulation period begin? It be, how does the seven years start counting down? When who does a, who makes what kind of agreement with the many in Israel? Right, Rich, a peace agreement, amen? Peace treaty for seven years. In the middle of that seven years, the Antichrist breaks the conditions and he sets himself up and says, now you worship me. And they'll make a, co- a covenant for seven years with the prince that has come. That's the Antichrist. So the Antichrist will make a covenant for seven years with many, the na- Israel and the nations, for seven years to protect Israel. And it's probably at that time, and that's why he probably could at that time have the rebuilding of the temple, allowing for temple sacrifices again. And then that's where the Antichrist will later sit in the temple saying he's God because it'll bring peace, Right? The world will be saying peace and safety. Now, this is my point. Listen to this. This is, this, I think this is a very, very salient point that refutes this position. If Israel is currently in a state of not feeling threatened and feel at peace and secure, which I don't believe is true, <laughs> not even close. If that's the case, though, if Gog and Magog were to happen before the tribulation begins, right? Think about it and God himself destroys Russia at that time, and the Muslim nations that threaten Israel, right? And just (laughs) obliterates them, right? They would be at greater peace than they've ever had, huh? What would be the reason to have the Antichrist come in and make a peace treaty with them? He isn't, we don't need you and your treaty. We just saw what Yahweh did, are you kidding me? Makes no sense at all that you'd have a peace treaty. Are you following that? 
Why would you have a peace treaty with the Antichrist and say, oh yeah, we need protection and stuff if your God just wiped out Russia and the Muslim nations that were attacking you? In fact, other people would be saying, well, what in the world, right? So, uh, are you with me? So, he's right about this though. The invasion will not take place. And this is a clue as to when it takes place. Will not take place until Israel feels unthreatened. Till Israel is at rest. Till Israel doesn't have walls protecting them, which they do now. Doesn't have to worry about, you know, these threats. How do we know that? Look at 38.8 again. After many days, you will be summoned. In the latter days, you will come into a land that has been restored from the sword. And look at verse 11, toward the end. They are all, and they are what? All living what? Securely, all of them. Okay? Now, uh, go ahead and continue. That's verse 8, I'm sorry. Now look at verses 10 and 11. Thus says the Lord, it will come about on that day that thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil plan. Talking about Gog and Magog. You'll devise an evil plan. And you will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. What's Israel at that time? Unwalled villages. I will go against those who are what? At rest. That live where? That live how? Securely. All of them living without walls and having no bars or gates. Israel is in such a state of peace at that time. They feel we live so securely, we don't even need gates. We don't need walls, which isn't typical of ancient nations. Is Israel like that right now? Did you know that Israel spends a higher percentage of their GDP, the money they bring in, on defense than any other nation with the exception of Saudi Arabia? Why do they do that if they're at ease and at rest and don't need walls and gates? Because they aren't at rest. Number three is Russia, by the way. We spend way more than them, but they don't, they, they don't have a lot of money. Their GDP is like Texas. No offense, Texas. We love Texas, you know. <laughs> but uh, so it's interesting. Since 2006, Israel government has built hundreds of miles of walls, guys. They're not unwalled. In fact, there's 440 miles of walls that divide Israel from the West Bank because of all the attacks that continue to come, but have, since that wall has been put up, suicide bombings have dropped dramatically from several dozen, I think like almost 75 to a dozen, and they definitely aren't unwalled. In fact, Israel has been in a state of unrest since they became a nation again. They became a nation in 1948 on May 14th. You know what happened? They declared themselves an independent nation. The very next day, May 15th, you have the Arab-Israeli war where several of the Muslim nations around them attacked them the very next day and tried to destroy them. And since that time, there has been unrest, okay? You have Iran, right, threatening to blow them off the map. You have, think about this, you have Syria right next to them. I mean, when we're in the Golan Heights and we're driving around the Golan Heights in Israel, we're looking across the fence and we're seeing the Syria with their military outpost out there. We're looking at them. And guess who's in Syria? Putin and the Russians who came to help with ISIS in the Civil War. And in 2019, Putin said, we're withdrawing our troops, but they didn't. They said, oh, we're going to stay. And since that time, they have transferred, they have two bases there. And to at least one of the bases, they have transferred hypersonic uh, missiles, missiles that our country is like, whoa, these things go like nine, ten times. The, the, we can't stop them, the, the, the speed of sound. And they are, and those are ca nuclear capable warheads on these hypersonics are designed for that, okay? Right next to Israel. You think Israel is like, oh no, everything's fine, man. Let's put our defenses down. We're not concerned. Uh, they're more concerned than ever. And I think this is very, very important 
uh, to understand. So uh, it's not until, so when will they have a place, a time when they feel protected, when they feel like they don't have to worry? When there's a seven-year covenant and when they're saying, and they'll be saying what? Peace and security. That happens after the Antichrist emerges. The Gog-Magog word is not fit before the tribulation. This is not World War III, as many pre-tribs are saying, erupting. I'm not saying this won't be World War III, but I'm saying it's not the Gog-Magog. I'm not saying this won't lead to great destruction. It very well could. I'm just saying this is not Gog-Magog yet, okay? Well, uh, a fifth view is that the Gog-Magog war will happen sometime before the end of the tribulation period, which again... That makes better sense, but it still doesn't make sense to put it in the tribulation period because we have all these details in the book of Revelation and you don't see the Gog-Magog war mentioned during the tribulation period. You go throughout the book of Revelation. You don't see it in Daniel either detailed uh, this war that matches Ezekiel 38 and 39 during the tribulation period. In fact, guess what? It wouldn't fit either because let's say it happened, you know, during the tribulation period, then what? Israel would be cleaning up for the next several years, right? doesn't fit. Israel's not in a cleaning mode during that time. So that view also fails. Another view, the sixth view, and we're almost to the seventh, the sixth view is that the Gog-Magog war is in Revelation chapter 20. And since Gog and Magog are mentioned there, which is the strength of that view, by the way, uh, it mentions Gog and Magog in the sands of the sea after the thousand-year reign of Christ. Okay? Uh, however, this view, and most scholars, even a lot of preterists and pre-tribs and post-tribs. Most of them say it's not the same exact war. The Lord uses the same uh, descriptive, which happens a lot in prophecy. You remember Jezebel in the Old Testament? There's a Jezebel in the New Testament. She's not Jezebel. You know Sodom and Egypt, right? Well, Israel's called Sodom and Egypt in, when, in Revelation chapter 11. You know the day of the Lord, there's these local day of the Lords, but there's its ultimate day of the Lord. So what happens is the Gog-Magog war of Ezekiel 38 and 39, and I'm going to show you number seven when it does happen, foreshadows as a picture of a very similar war at the end of the millennial period. How we know it's not the end of the, how we know the Gog-Magog war isn't the same identical war, isn't the same historical event in, after the millennium, how we know that, is because Israel's in unbelief and not trusting the Lord until the Gog-Magog war. Then Israel comes to faith in their Messiah. Well, guess what? In the millennium, after the millennium, Israel and the saints, right? The saints are already ruling with Christ for a thousand years. They already know he's the Messiah, amen? And the Gog-Magog war in 38 and 39 is to go get gold and silver and riches. The Gog-Magog war in Revelation 20, at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ, uh, it doesn't seem to be that at all. It's more about trying to overcome the Lord and destroy the saints. Okay, so they're different wars, and most, I don't have to argue that one much because most uh, prophecy experts see that there's glaring differences uh, between these two things, even though there's similar terminology. Uh, number seven, number seven, and I saved what I do believe is the Gog-Magog war and when it will take place for the end. Are you still with me? Okay. Would you rather me just go through two, three verses, or are you glad we just go for it and go deep? Amen. I hope you like this kind of stuff because I believe we're supposed to study prophecy and I do work my tail off to put these things together and research and seek the Lord because I know that's what the Lord wants me to do. I know he wants us to be informed. So I believe we're talking about Armageddon here, an Armageddon scenario. What war does 38-39 is equal Gog-Magog war? When does that take place? Well, it, didn't, it certainly didn't happen in the past, right? It's not happened before the tribulation period. That doesn't make sense, Okay. 
It's happening at what we call Armageddon. In Revelation 16, 13, it says, and I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, that's Satan, and out of the mouth of the beast, that's the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, that's the false prophet, uh, three unclean spirits like frogs. For there are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men, see, will see, uh, and men will not see his shame. By the way, the thief in the night coming is when? At Armageddon, guys, at the end. And the, listen to this. And they gathered them, that is, they gathered these demons out of the mouth of the beast, the false prophet, and Satan that go forth or issue forth. They gather them, that's the nations, together to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon, okay? So in Ezekiel 38 and 39, you have, all these, you have these nations that are specifically mentioned and many other nations aren't mentioned. You can read about them in Psalm 83. You can read about them in Daniel, that 10-nation empire, 10 nations that give their power to the beast. You can understand the bear, the lion, and the leopard, right? And the bearer is Medo-Persia, which is Iran, and that's in Revelation 13. Persia is also in... Ezekiel 38, okay, Iran. You have a lot of the same nations overlapping because it says many nations. How does Babylon get, oh, I'm sorry, how does, how does Gog and Magog get destroyed? Look at chapter, 28, chapter 38, verse 20 through 23, with a huge earthquake. And the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth. And all men who are on the face of the earth all men on the face of the earth will shake at my presence. The mountains also will be thrown down. The steep pathways will collapse. And every, and what? Every wall will fall to the ground. That's all throughout the earth. You've got this huge worldwide earthquake. That never happened before. Do you know all, our tecton, all, our, all of our earthquake faults are connected to one degree or another? And guess what? That happens in the book of Revelation at Armageddon. Okay? Revelation 6.12, I look, and he broke the sixth seal. And there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars, the sky fell to the earth, and the fig trees cast as unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain, listen to this, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Same thing at Armageddon. And the kings of the earth and the people will cry out to the mountains to crush them and hide them from the wrath of him who sits on the throne and the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come. That's the day of the Lord, folks. Are you with me? Okay. So we all see, so see in Revelation chapter 11, the Lord returns in verse 15. And then you go to the ending right there, verse 18 and 19. It talks about thunders and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. Revelation chapter 16, verses 14 through 20. We just read verses 14, 15, and 16, Armageddon. Uh, then 17 says, the seventh angel poured out his bowl. This is, a, this is the last bowl, guys. Brings you to the end. Uh, upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. It's done. This is the end, guys. And there are, were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake. There was a great earthquake such as there had not been since man came to be on the earth. So great an earthquake was it and so mighty. And the great city was split into three parts. That's Babylon. And the cities of the nations fell. Babylon, the cities of the nations fell. That's all over the world, right? Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away and the mountains were not found. Now, this is going to be a blow mine the next couple weeks, guys, because we look at the players of Gog and Magog. Who are they? And how do they relate to these beast nations with 
with uh, Russia, how do they relate to this whole new world order that America, that, that Biden just said that we're creating? And that the, he just said, we're going to gather the nations together and bring a new world order and we're going to lead it. How does that fit with the beast nations? What he's doing fits very well, man, because we are riding that territory. And the, the new world order is really the new world disorder because there are two major groups involved. There's the beast empire and then there's the whore of Babylon who rides or sits on the beast and they have a relationship because the Whore Babylon relies on her goods like oil and everything else. And they got to keep this kind of relationship until the end. And the beast destroys Babylon with fire. And we're going to get into the next two weeks. And it fits like a hand in a glove. A lot of people are like, which is what? what? It's, I'm like, this is exactly what you'd expect. It's a blow mine. Okay, we're going to get into that. Are you excited? I'm excited. So Revelation 16, 14, they got this great earthquake. And guess what? At Armageddon and in the battle of Gog and Magog, you have infighting where the nations turn their weapons on each other. Ezekiel 38, if you're still there, 21. I will call for a sword against him on all my mountains. That's against Gog and Magog, declares the Lord God. Then what does it say? Every man's sword will be against his what? His brother, right? And then if you go to Zechariah chapter 14, when Jesus returns at Armageddon, one through four, behold, the day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather, I will gather, I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city will be captured, the house is plundered, the women ravished, and half the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go and forth and fight against those nations. Just like Gog and Magog, the Lord's going to fight against those nations. As when he fights on the day of battle. In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem, on the east. And on the Mount of Olives will be what? Split in the middle from the east to the west by a very large valley, so that half the mountain will be moved toward the north and the other half toward the south. But what's interesting is verse three. It will come about in that day that the great panic will come from the Lord, right? Will fall on them and they will what? Seize one another's hands and what? And the hand of one will be what? Lifted against the hand of another. Just like Gog and Magog, same word, okay? Oh yeah, and Gog and Magog, look at verse 22. Hailstorms come from the Lord with pestilence and with blood and I will enter into judgment with him, that is with Gog and Magog, and I will rain on him and on his troops and on the many peoples who are with him a torrential rain with hailstones, fire and brimstone. Revelation chapter eight, verse seven, you have hail mixed with blood and fire going on the earth. In Revelation 16, 20 and 21, under the seventh bowl, you have, and every island fled away from the mountains were not found, and huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of hail, because it was extremely severe. Well, chapter 38, Gog and Magog, verse 23, the Lord says, I will, magma, I will magnify myself. I will magnify myself, sanctify myself, and make myself known in the sight of many nations, and they will know that I am the Lord. Okay? They're going to know he, he's Yahweh at this point. That happens at Armageddon. Okay? They'll bow down before him, and God brings his judgments that the nations may learn righteousness. And just like God with Pharaoh, remember? He, every one of these gods, these 10 gods they worshiped, the 10 plagues were directed, far more than 10 gods they worshiped, but the plagues were directed at those false gods. And I'll have time to get into that to show that he was the one true God. That was a mini picture of the end time 
apocalypse, which happens on a cosmic level. And we read in Revelation 17, 12 through 14, the 10 horns which you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they will receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose and they give their power and authority to the beast. These will wage war against the lamb and the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are the called and the chosen and the faithful. Well, in Ezekiel 39, one through four, it says this. This is Gog Magog now. And you, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and I will turn you around and drive you to take you up to the, to the remotest parts of the north. What's the remotest parts of the north? That's Russia from Israel. And bring you against the mountains of Israel. And I will strike you, I will strike your bow from your left hand and your dash, your arrows from your right hand. And you will fall in the mountains of Israel. And you and all your troops and the peoples who are with you, I will give you as what? Are you with me? How many see what it says? I'll give you. I'll give you to what? I'll give you as food to every kind of predatory bird and beast of the field. Does that sound familiar? What happens at Armageddon in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 21? You have the war and he calls these birds the great supper of God at Armageddon when Jesus comes on his white horse, right? In flamey fire, take vengeance on those who dwell on the earth and he destroys them and he summons the birds of prey to eat their flesh, just like Gog and Magog, okay? This is all quite astonishing. That's in verses 11 through 21 uh, of Revelation chapter 19. Oh, and guess what? How does Gog and Magog ultimately destroyed? With fire. Look at chapter 39, verses five and six. You will fall on the open field for it is I who have spoken, declares the Lord God, and I will send fire upon Magog and those who inhabit the coastlands in safety, and they will know that I am the Lord. Well, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, right? He says in verses 7 through 8, he comes with his mighty angels in flaming fire to take vengeance on those who dwell on the earth. In Revelation, uh, in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, Jesus destroys the Antichrist with the spirit of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. Okay, the fire of the Lord. He is a consuming fire. Listen to Zechariah 14, 12 about Armageddon. Check this out. This will be the plague with which Yahweh will strike all the peoples who have warred against Jerusalem. Their flesh will be, listen to this, their flesh will be consumed away while they stand on their feet. And their eyes will consume away in their sockets. And their tongue will consume away in their mouth. So while they're standing up, eyes, tongue, dissolved by fire when the Lord returns. Which trips me out because it made me think of a scripture. Because remember how long it takes to bury the dead from the Gog-Magog war? It takes seven years to destroy their, their weaponry. But it takes seven months to bury the dead. And guess what's going on during those seven months? I thought this was very interesting. It hit me uh, last night or this morning. And those who pass through the land pass through. And anyone sees a man's bone. These are the ones who are cleaning up for the seven years. But this is the seven month period first. Where they bury the dead. Anyone who sees a man's bone... Then he will set up a marker by it until, it until the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamongog. Bones, right after the war? How are there bones all over right after the war? Because these guys have been dissolved. Okay, are you with me? That's why. It takes years to make bones out of a body, you know, or some a period of time. Uh, not necessarily, I mean, animals could ravage the dead bodies as well. Uh, well, the last thing I mentioned is Israel is converted during the Gog-Magog war, okay? And which means it must be Armageddon. Look at Ezekiel chapter 39, verses seven and eight. My holy name I will make known in the midst of what? My people Israel. 
and I will not let my holy name be profaned anymore. That's definitely not pre-trib, is it? Because his name is profaned for seven years during the tribulation period, amen? In fact, the Antichrist says he blasphemes the name of God in his tabernacle through the tribulation period. And the world says, who can make war with him? This is not a pre-trib scenario, amen? Because he says his name will not be profaned anymore. During the, during the tribulation, his name is profaned more than ever. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, okay? Well, they won't know that until after the tribulation period, guys. And they'll know that, right? Then, behold, it is coming and it shall be done, declares the Lord God. That is the day on which I have spoken. Wow. So Israel is going to know who their God is. The nations will know who he is. That's why I'm saying this is, still, this is not the after the millennium war either, because Israel already knows who he is at that point. In fact, the church in Israel are reigning with him for a thousand years. Well, listen to Isaiah chapter 2, verses 10 through 12 of the day of the Lord when Jesus Christ comes back. Go into the rocks and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. The proud look of a man will be humbled and the loftiness of men brought low. The Lord alone will be, the Lord alone, the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. He alone. During the tribulation period, he's not alone exalted, right? The Antichrist is exalted. Who can make war with him? For the day of the Lord of hosts will come against all the proud and lofty, against all that is exalted. It will be humbled. Wow. That didn't happen. These things haven't happened yet. It doesn't happen before the tribulation period. Israel will know who he is when this war takes place. The nations will know who he is and they will fear him. And Jesus said, God's word says in Romans chapter 14 and in Philippians chapter 2, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Every, every tongue's going to confess that he's Lord. I know I went a little fast, but you can get the tape and just, some people listen to, Lorena used to listen on slow speed because she has to, she dictates everything. She said she finally got to the point where now she just follows me. I'm like, wow, that's pretty good. And she's typing it, so don't complain, okay? Amen. Thanks for the hard work, you guys. Brothers and sisters, When is the best time to understand the Gog-Magog war? Right now? No. First of all, the pre-trib understanding of the rapture is off right away. So right away, pre-tribs already have a messed up eschatology where they're not going to be ready to face Antichrist and many are going to fall away, Jesus said. That scares us. But right now, they're thinking this is going to happen. If it doesn't happen, and then all of a sudden, that, that can't be the Antichrist because they believe the Gog-Magog scenario is not the Antichrist kingdom at all. So if that doesn't happen, this next guy that comes to rise can't be the Antichrist because Gog Magog hasn't happened. I mean, there's a lot of concerns that I have for my preacher brothers and sisters. Uh, I do believe, thank God, they'll know and understand that when the mark of the beast comes out, an angel will fly through the midheaven warning not to take that mark, amen? So praise God, we have some hope for our preacher brothers and sisters. However, I've quoted and I've found through the internet, through my research, many pre-tribs, not just leaders, but just pre-trib followers, that if we have to go through the tribulation, then God's an evil God. I would never follow him if he lets us go through that time. That's the wrong attitude, man. The early church, when they were flogged and whipped for preaching the gospel, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the kingdom of God, and they went right back into the city and preached. Amen? That's the heart God wants to have. Amen? I encourage you right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is Lord of all. And things are definitely heating up. I'm keeping my eye 
and I have been for a long time, and it's a trip seeing what's going on with Russia in Ukraine, Russia's alliances with Syria, Iraq, and Iran, who are all related to the beast empire in Revelation 13, 1 through 3, the bear, the leopard, and the lion, ancient, and then these other nations that are mentioned with overlapping with Iran mentioned in Gog, Magog, and many other nations, which I believe includes the ones I just mentioned, and many other Muslim nations. The Gog, Magog war, you guys, seemed like, and the beast empire seemed far off. Even years ago when I would say, hey, this looks like, I know it doesn't, nothing's happened over there, but it looks like that's what's going to happen. And guess what? Decades later, I'm like, woo, man, it's going on now. You know how much time we have and so forth? That's their thing. Because Jesus is like birth pains, right? Birth pains, oh, it's here. And it slows down. Oh, it's all working. Oh, now it's here for sure. And it slows down. Amen. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, here. Oh, it's just a birth pain. Oh, it is really here. Be careful. Okay. We're supposed to watch for the signs of times, knowing that it's coming is near. Amen. And we're supposed to be watchful as Christians. Well, we don't believe he comes at any moment. Right? We believe we're supposed to watch for the signs that herald is coming. And when those last signs take place, then it is any moment, amen? There'll be a time where it does become imminent when we see the sign of his coming after these things have come to pass. But we're supposed to watch for the signs. But I want to encourage you right now because every single one of you is going to see the Lord either at his coming or at your death, you're going to be judged by him. Now, I'm not saying you're going to stand before the great white throne judgment upon death. That's going to happen later after the thousand-year reign of Christ. But the Bible says that Jesus Christ provided his life for you on the cross, that he died for your sins. He rose again. And the scriptures say that those who do reject him are already condemned because you're in your sins. See, without Jesus, the Bible tells us that we're lost, amen? That we're without hope. I just did a message last Wednesday on hope. We're going through 1 Peter, by the way. I'm sorry, we're going through 1 Timothy on Wednesday nights. So I encourage you to be at that study. We just started it last week and it was a, uh, we, just going, we just went through verse one. So say, hey, if you're not going to Wednesday study, it's a good time to get in, man, because we're just starting 1 Timothy. But guess what? We talked about hope. Praise God as Christians, we have hope, amen? We have hope in Christ and he never fails. No prophecy has ever fallen to the ground, amen? If you don't know Jesus, we love you. You're in the same shape we all of us were before we came to him. You're lost, okay? You're separated from God. You're headed to eternal separation by your choice from God. He loves you, though. He cares about you so much. He loves you so much. He, he gave himself for you on the cross to provide your salvation. And the Bible says if we reject him, we're without excuse. If you are an honest person, you'll admit that you have sin in your heart, that you've said things that are wrong, that you've thought things that are wrong, that you do things that are wrong. But Jesus died for everything you did that was wrong. He loves you so much that he came to the cross and he died on the cross to pay for every crime that you've ever committed against God. The good news is that you can be forgiven right now. And you can no longer be under the wrath of God like Gog and Magog will be, but you can become a child of God. The Bible says as many as received Christ, he gave the right to become the children of God. So you become a child of God right now and be saved by the precious blood of Christ. And that means if you leave here after you become a child of God, you're right with God because you're forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross, amen? And you can leave here saved and on your way to heaven. You die later, Praise God, you're with the Lord, amen? You have a glorious funeral. You reject Christ, our hearts just break for you. 
So the Bible says now is a uh, time of salvation. Now is a day. Now is the acceptable time. Today is a day of salvation. Receive him now while you still have time. Amen. I'm encouraging you, don't leave here lost. Make sure you know Jesus. Amen. Praise God. I love you guys. So and just cry out to him. Say, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose again. I put my faith in him. I turn from my rebellion against him. And I embrace Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Cry out to him now. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Amen. On that note, let's stand up and we'll pass out the cup and the bread.